Welcome. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. You're listening to Detailing Addiction. We're on America's Web Radio. I'd like to welcome you to the show today. I think it's going to be an interesting one. It's certainly one that has raised a lot of debate and a lot of controversy in the recovery community and among treating professionals. And today we're going to talk about medication-assisted therapies or medication-assisted recovery, which is the term I like to use, and how that can be integrated with 12-step recovery programs. And there is a lot of opinions about this, so uh, hopefully you will be able to uh, have an open mind and make a different, well, at least consider some things before you make a decision about what you think about this. With me today to help me address this issue is David Donaldson, the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center, and Michael Daly, who is the Chief Operating Officer of the Atlanta Healing Center. Welcome, and thank you so much for being willing to uh, jump into this. Absolutely. Thank you, Susan. I'm very glad we're talking about this. I think it's a really, really important topic. So some of you may be scratching your heads going, what are they talking about, and what is medication-assisted recovery, and why would that be a problem? So maybe we should back up just a little bit and talk about medication-assisted recovery. Um, what do we mean by that? What do people think about when they hear those words and when they think about a treatment program that might include medication? Well, I, I think that for the most part, um, when people hear that phrase, they're thinking of the opiate addict and they think about medications that are going to to stop the craving for opiates. And so they're particularly thinking about Two, two types of drugs, um, one that completely blocks the body's ability to mm-hmm. um, g- get any sort of high if they take opiates. Um, it blocks all of the opiate receptors. Um, and a- another one that, that um, I don't know if we can say names. <laughs> I have trade names in my <laughs> head Buprenorphine. Right um, buprenorphine, which blocks the receptor sites, and in and, and, and the format we use also has naloxone in it to keep the person from being able to misuse the medication. Um, but medicated-assisted recovery has has been a part of the recovery for a long time. Um, um, 30 years ago when Prozac first came on the market, Floxetine, <laughs> um, um, there was controversy in the in the halls of Alcoholics Anonymous for people being on antidepressant medications and SSRIs because Alcoholics Anonymous and the other 12-step uh, models are all programs of abstinence, um, um, which is well and good. But there were medications that were helping people who could not succeed at straight abstinence um, um, from the get-go. Right. So even Ruth Fox, who is um, one of the founders of the American Society of Addiction Medicine, years ago, when ASAM was first, almost 50 years ago now, first founded, she was using a medication called Antabuse to help her recovering alcoholics. Some of you may be familiar with that. Um, that medication, uh, disulfiram, is a substance that blocks one of the enzymes that breaks down alcohol. And so instead of it going quickly through the pathway in your liver to um, be t- detoxified and getting out of your system, it stops at the formaldehyde step. And so suddenly people are extremely ill. 
So if they have even sometimes a minimal exposure to alcohol, they will get violently ill. They will get flushed face. They will start... And I mean projectile vomiting, which is a real intense, rapid vomiting, and they can uh, have some serious cardiac side effects up to and including death. And didn't that include the use of perfume or or cologne or, you know... Mouthwash. Yeah. Lots of things. Sometimes... You wouldn't think of as being an alcohol product, but they would have that same effect. Right. They can have um, certainly not to the death-related degree, but certainly uh, to a level of being uncomfortable. So we've had medications for a long time that have been part of recovery programs. Um, The controversy years ago when Prozac came on the scene was we're not to use any mind or mood altering substances. That's the common phrase that you hear in 12 step recovery. The thought was that somehow in treating someone's depression, that was what you were doing. You were putting them in la la land. You were making them not care. You were changing their personality rather than you are correcting a chemical imbalance in the brain and stabilizing their mood to allow them to not be high and not be manic or overly enthusiastic, but to have their normal self back, where their sleep and their appetite, their energy level, their concentration, their memory, their interest in things, all of these things back to their normal state so that they were able to participate more actively in their recovery process. So it's not about changing our mood and mind altering. I guess it is mood altering in the sense of it is getting you back to your normal mood, but not mood altering in to the, a new higher plane. Or. Right. That we think about with drugs or alcohol. Mm-hmm. But that was, a, that was a problem. And people were really very upset in 12-step meetings that folks were taking this um, medications and taking medications, mood stabilizers for bipolar disorder, that people were taking medications for ADHD or taking medications for anxiety, all of these raised some level of concern within the 12-step community. And and the class of medications that they had just prior to, to fluoxetine um, for depression or for... for um, mood stabilization would kind of put people into a zombie state (laughs) you know so in the recovery community back then when somebody would be coming from a psychiatrist or a doctor's office they would really come in in a place where they couldn't necessarily benefit from the meetings because the the class of medications prior to ssris was was something that would really zone them out um so so there's a little sense of of they want to protect their space and have it be beneficial for people. Right. That comes on every time a new a new option or a new solution comes out there, there's a bit of a panic related to that. And in all honesty, many of the medications that were used prior to medications like the SSRIs were 
major and minor tranquilizers was what they used to be called. And some of these are highly addictive substances. The benzodiazepines and the barbiturates that were used to calm people down. I, I think earlier today, uh, David, you referred to Mother's Little Helper, um, the medication that was sometimes given and often to women to help them with their nerves was a highly addictive substance that works in the same area that alcohol does in in the brain and releases the same kinds of neurotransmitters and can be as highly addictive and as dangerous in detox. So some of it was uh, a misunderstanding about what is this, these new med- what are these new medications and is this one more way in which doctors are um, causing people with addiction to go back into active use by using these drugs. So you can see where there there was concern and some misunderstanding. And certainly, and and certainly, there's the the awareness that there are several doctors and psychiatrists out there that don't have um, a big interest in addiction. They don't have a lot of background in addiction and and aren't particularly interested in learning about it. Um, addiction, and so from the recovering perspective, um, um, when you're working with somebody who who you don't know the kind of advice they're getting from the medical field, there's there's room for concern. And something that I think should certainly be talked about and paid attention to, because um, trying to help the person with the disease of addiction get into and stay in recovery is um, a real important thing. So back in 1984, the uh, Alcoholics Anonymous World Services Organization put out a pamphlet that was originally, I think, printed in the Grapevine, which is their official newsletter. And um, this statement was regarding use of medication and what AA's role in that is and what AA's role is not. And I think this was um, a very important move, and this was right about the time that medications like fluoxetine, other antidepressants that did not have an addictive potential uh, came on the scene. So they they responded pretty quickly mm-hmm. with um, information about uh, how to handle members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and this is specifically for AA. I believe NA also adopts a similar philosophy. Am I correct? Um, I, I actually can't swear to that, but I believe they do. Um, they, they think and they've taken much of their their founding and their initial information from Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, they separated from AA probably ten years earlier than that, so I don't know. I, I would assume, but I don't know that for a fact. Okay, so at least Alcoholics Anonymous came out with this um, with this proclamation around how to handle. Uh, members of Alcoholics Anonymous who were taking medications prescribed by their doctor. Right. Do you want me to? Yeah, if you wouldn't mind sharing that with us, Michael, that would be helpful. Just whatever you think would be helpful. Um, Some AA members must take prescribed medications for serious medical problems. However, it's generally accepted that the misuse of prescription medications and other drugs 
can threaten the achievement and maintenance of sobriety. It may be possible to minimize the threat of relapse if the following suggestions are heeded. No AA member should play doctor. All medical advice, advice and treatment should come from a qualified physician. Active participation in AA program of recovery is a major safeguard against alcohol relapse. Okay. Um, be completely honest with your doctor and yourself about the way you are taking the medication. Let your doctor know if you skip a dose or take more medicine than prescribed. And explain to your doctor that you no longer drink alcohol, you're trying a new way of life, and you're in recovery. And let your doctor know at once if you've had a desire to take more medicine or if you've had side effects that make you feel worse. Uh, be sensitive to warnings about changes in your behavior when you start a new medication or when your dose has changed. And if you feel like your doctor does not understand your problems, considering or consider making a, an appointment with a physician who has experience in treating those with alcoholism. And then give your doctor copies of this pamphlet. Um, I think that when when that came out and after that came out, there were a lot of people that really bought into it and made it a very good point as sponsors and, and people uh, in the meetings to say, look, once, once you take a medication as prescribed by your doctor and they're telling you when and, and what to take, that that becomes then part of the medical community and not part of the AA community. And I think that that was a, a really good and sound decision amongst them because that put to bed a lot of this this um, old-timers trying to give medical advice. And I think it are, even today, these are still really important words to live by. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about medication-assisted recovery and integration with the 12 steps. Thanks for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not... You probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Daryl Pullis inviting you to listen to America's Homegrown Veggie Show right here every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern Time. Great guests, great tips, and valuable information about growing your own vegetables, fruits, and herbs. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, 
but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Susan Blank, and this is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. Today I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about a controversial subject. Unfortunately, it was controvers- controversial back in the 1980s, and... Up through 2016, there are still lots of debates and lots of struggles around medication and taking medication if you're in recovery. Mm -hmm. We'll talk a little bit later about what we mean by medication-assisted recovery, but I think there's some very good advice for anyone in recovery. In the words that you shared with us, Michael, that's from the pamphlet from AA um, about um, taking medication and about how people in the recovery community should be dealing with folks who are taking medication. Um, During the break, David, you made a a really good point about honesty. Well, I think that um, what this pamphlet really emphasizes is the the first step of of the 12-step program is about getting honest with yourself and with your your um, people <laughs> that you are an addict or, or an alcoholic um, and keeping that honesty as as your guide to everything you have to do. So if you're going to see a doctor and you have some situation that he's going to want to write a prescription, you have to be able to be honest and say to him, I am an alcoholic and I need to be very cautious about what medications I take and I need to be know that it's okay to talk to you and let you know if I'm having symptoms or side effects that that we would not expect, and one of those in particular, I think, is in the pamphlet because it's it's dated when it is, um, and it doesn't really focus so much on what happens when an addict is when an addict who's also an opiate addict is exposed to opiates. Um, they really like the other benefit that it gets from it. Right. And the pamphlet doesn't really speak to. Tell your doctor if you're getting blissful experiences from the medication he's giving you, which um, I I think when we move on into talking more about opiate recovery in particular, that needs to be part of the part of the discussion. But I think that I think that in in that discussion, even mentioning to your doctor that you are, in fact, an alcoholic, that, you know, there's a certain set of drugs that that even though you're not they're not drugs of your choice, they may lead to relapse just because of the way that they break down your your natural um, ability to make good decisions you know so uh, and I think that some of this comes back to the whole question about are you do you have the disease of addiction or are you an alcoholic 
because I think that is one of the fundamental struggles that we all have in terms of really understanding that alcohol is not the problem. And even benzodiazepines or medication, sleep medicines or pain medicines or cough medications, they're not the problem. The problem is the person has the disease of addiction and their brain is genetically different than other people's brains and their reaction to substances and behaviors going to be different than for other people and that they need to have a wide um, and open level of caution with exposure to any kind of medication and they need to be thinking about it in terms of I need to let my pharmacist know and my dentist know and the ER doc know and the podiatrist know and my OBGYN know and my internist and anybody and everybody who might be writing a prescription for me needs to know and I need to remind them I have the disease of addiction because that's part of the the difficulty and part of the struggle with recovery groups is that we have this group that thinks they're drug addicts and we have this group that think they're alcoholics and that they're not the same disease and they're not the same person. The DSM-5 has continued my beef with the American Psychiatric Association of which I am a member um, and I am a fellow of the APA, but one of my beefs is they continue to perpetuate this notion that the addiction is caused by the drug. Mm-hmm. And that the assumption, as one of my colleagues was saying last night on a listserv that I was reading, the assumption that people are perfectly normal, perfectly fine, not a problem until they take the substance and then boom, now they have the disease of addiction. We know that is not true. We know that this is a genetically inherited disorder that they come to the earth with, that we can sometimes even see some behaviors before drugs or alcohol are introduced, but that the problem is the way their brain reacts to substances and behaviors that release dopamine. And that is the problem. It is not even tobacco. It is not sugar. It is not alcohol. It is a lot of things. Anything that releases dopamine is potentially dangerous for someone who has this genetic disorder. Mm-hmm. But And I, I think that that really highlights the, the fear that the 12-step recovery community has around medicated-assisted recovery because there is the awareness that if you're on buprenorphine, you're doing something that you could abuse and get yes. high on. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, many, many people do use buprenorphine to get high or at least at least to not go into withdrawal when they're on other substances. So they have that awareness that this is a very dangerous mm-hmm. drug that could could take you back to your drug of choice if, if, if you're just using it and disregarding that very first rule and thinking that you're your own doctor. Right. That starting out with, remember, you are not a doctor is a perfect place to start on the pamphlet suggestion. Even if you are a doctor, you are not your own doctor, and you should not be making uh, medical decisions. So that's a really important thing. The first thing is you've got to be honest with your health care providers and not make assumptions. I know people are afraid. They're afraid the doctor will not 
help them with pain management or will disrespect them or think less of them or judge them in some way. And I'm not saying that that might not happen for some people, but the risk of potentially losing your life to this chronic illness is so great that regardless of those fears, you need to be honest. Correct. And then the second step, as you just mentioned, um, David, is that you have to take the medications as prescribed. That that third step in 12-step recovery of turning your will over, part of that is also understanding you're not a doctor and that you need to take the medications as they are prescribed for you, not when you think you need them or the amount you think you need or um, missing doses or taking additional doses. If there's a problem, if you're having side effects, if it is affecting you, either making you euphoric, feeling a little too good, or making you feel bad, you talk to the doctor. You don't just decide, well, I'm not going to take that, or I'm going to take more of this because I like the way that makes me feel. So one of the ways to make sure that you're still in recovery is, am I actually reading the bottle, and am I following the directions on the bottle, (laughs) and am I following up with my doctor as recommended to make sure that I'm not having side effects or problems with this medication? Mm-hmm. Huge and, thing. Absolutely. And the thing that I think that, that is so important with that is that for people in recovery, and in particular early recovery, their ability to honestly say, yes, I can take that medication exactly as prescribed because, you know, I'm a good patient and I care and I'm a good caring person that I'm going to be able to do this as she prescribed it just isn't necessarily the case once the chemical is in their brain because right. we know that it's going to it's going some of the chemicals are going to push the addiction reaction and they're going to have a des- desire to take more or they're going to have an experience of taking more than they intended to um, and so having safeguards put in place to be able to um, take it a away from feelings and taking it away from emotions and taking it on a schedule as prescribed, maybe with a support person as your reminder or something that's helping you to be able to honestly say, yes, I'll take it as prescribed. Mm-hmm. It's re- it's really, really important. And the reminding of your doctor over and over again, I have had people say, I am in recovery. I can't take um, these kinds of medications and then the doctor at the end of the visit writes a prescription for a benzodiazepine that they can't take. Right. Um, so that advice that's also given in this pamphlet, if you don't think your doctor understands this disease and you need to get a second opinion or you need to talk to your um, addiction recovery team, uh, including a physician that's trained in addiction medicine about, is this a safe treatment plan? And if I have to take it, because sometimes you do need to take medication. If you're having surgery, you deserve pain relief. Correct. You deserve to be Treated with respect and to have some comfort and to be able to get through the surgery. So that doesn't mean, well, I'm, um, I'm, 
I have addiction, and so... I have to suffer through. I have to just not take any medicine. That's not wise. That's not safe. And that is uh, potentially inviting a problem with relapse in and of itself. So sometimes you have to take it, but there are some safeguards that really can be helpful in minimizing the risk that if you have to take a substance that is, or a medication that is going to activate that part of your brain, then then there there are some things you need to do to be able to make sure that you do that safely. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about what some of those things might be and how medication-assisted recovery can integrate with 12-step recovery. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is Dr. Susan Blank, host of Detailing Addiction and Medical Director of the Atlanta Healing Center. Please join me on Tuesday afternoons at 4 p.m. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. We're talking about medical-assisted recovery. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and this is Detailing Addiction. I'm with David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we are talking about, uh, right before the break, that there are times when, in the course of a normal lifetime, you may have a situation where, for example, you may have to take pain medication, either for an acute injury or a illness or a surgery that would require that you be exposed to potentially even the class of 
drugs or medications that are your drugs of choice. So what are some of the suggestions that you would give to people as ways to help them safely navigate this kind of situation? Um, Well, I think it's important that they follow the suggestions in the AA pamphlet um, in, in terms of being very clear with their doctor that they are an alcoholic and or an addict um, um, and that they need some some support in, in taking and managing the medications that they're going to be on. Um, I think they also need to be able to be very open and clear with their support system that they're going to be in a vulnerable situation and they need some support and, and they need some, some help in getting through this time period because um, otherwise they're, they're just too many hours in the day that they're very vulnerable to the disease. Well, and I think that um, as a person that's been in recovery and, and in my home group at that, at that early stages, it was made pretty well known that there were a lot of substances out there, even over-the-counter type mm-hmm. of medications that you should be very, very cautious to take. And it was always suggested that you read the labels really closely um, because there were a lot of, you know, cough medicines and and different things that had either alcohol in them or something that would would light up that same center of the addiction brain and and cause a possible relapse Mm -hmm. or a possible misjudgment of how much to take or when to take it or wanting more or, you know. So it was it was made very clear in the beginning that even though there's a lot of over-the-counter stuff out there, not everything that's over-the-counter means that it's okay for everyone to take. Right. So being really responsible as the person in recovery for everything you put in your body and understanding the potential risk I think is very important. One of the things that I will sometimes do if uh, one of our patients is in a situation that they're going to have a procedure, let's say, and that part of the procedure is going to be exposure to anesthesia and then they're going to need some pain management afterwards. So I will get permission from the patient, assigned consent, to be able to talk to their surgeon and if they're having this procedure in the hospital, to talk with their anesthesiologist about how, what is the usual type of medication that is used in this situation both for the anesthetic and for the pain management? What's the usual expected level of pain if it's a procedure that goes as planned? What's the usual length of time that the person would require pain medication? And then we put together a pain management program Mm -hmm. where someone that is in their life that they can trust to give the medication. And you have to be careful because you certainly don't want, if their spouse or their significant other is also in recovery, you don't want to put jeopardize that person's recovery either. So it needs to be a situation that is safe, that Mm -hmm. someone else is going to administer the medication, that the medication will be taken on a schedule according to the pharmacology of the meds. Some medications, you'll get a prescription that'll say take one to two every four to six hours as needed for pain. That is a disaster. That is addictive thinking all (laughs) over the place for someone who has this disease because Pain can become very 
non-tolerant really quickly. <laughs> Very quickly. And, um, and so looking at, I will look at the medication that is going to be prescribed and we'll figure out, well, this has a four-hour half-life. You need to take this every four hours. And you need to take one every four hours on the dot. Someone else is timing it. Someone else is dispensing it. If there are side effects, if you're feeling unusual amounts of pain, if there is a problem, then you have to go see the doctor. Because if it's above and beyond what's the usual expected level of pain and the usually expected type of medication, then we have to think something might not be right. There may be an infection. There may have been a complication with the surgery. So you have to see the doctor and we'll readjust the treatment plan. And that that is very helpful, I think, uh, taking that. Well, and I think that that's so crucial, in particular taking it on a set schedule yes. every four hours, because what so many people, addicts and non-addicts alike, is they'll they'll start a medication and they'll get to a point where they're feeling a little bit better, and so they'll Stop. either miss a dose or they'll delay a dose. And then the pain will come back with abundance, and suddenly they're thinking they have to take two or three in order to get that pain back under control, mm-hmm. um, and, and probably would be told you're going to have to take an extra to get it back under con- under control. So what actually I started doing with, with any of my, my patients that have um, smartphones is having them there when I'm with them set their timer. Mm-hmm. So that the phone on their on their reminder says take your medication or it's time for next dose or something that reminds them it's time to do it and they can take it away from how they're feeling and trying to try because their brain can't really judge how they're feeling um, when it comes to these type things and and we already know that well and and one of the other things is that many times when a person gets into recovery they have been away from doctors and and prescriptions and. Mm-hmm. The whole idea of of going in for a checkup and then going in for a follow up, whether you need it or not, just because you have to go in for a follow up. Um, you know, as as addicts and alcoholics, we don't like to follow up with anything, right. and <laughs> a lot of our our way that we operate prior to getting in um, recovery has been just to go at as needed right. and um, that is really bad thinking you know when I first got into recovery my sponsor used to have to remind me oh no you need to do this on a regular basis whether you need it or you don't need it whether you think you do you know it's just like learning how to live all over again mm-hmm. and managing and to give pain. somebody mm-hmm. um, just that open okay well come to see me if you need it that doesn't work. Right. That doesn't work. So then if someone is going to be in a situation where this is an extended period of needing pain management or needing management with potentially uh, abusable medications, then we may choose to handle it differently. Mm-hmm. And I, I may step in as the m- manager of the pain and write the prescription. And we may n- use a buprenorphine product that does not traditionally give the same kind of 
elevated high mm-hmm. that people expect with some of the short-term pain reliefs, which, relievers, which is generally what's used in post-op pain. Um, and then we will manage their pain in that way, uh, instituting a relapse prevention program, a taper of the medication as they are recovering and healing, and uh, looking at increasing their recovery support, their recovery time, their meetings with their sponsor, their attendance at meetings, doing some things online if going out isn't possible, or having uh, support from Mm -hmm. the recovery community come into their house to actually do a meeting or do a, a, a big book study with them so that they are and really keeping their recovery on, on the front burner. And that's another thing that is really important for people in recovery. One of the reasons why you want to get a home group and you want people that know about you and that know about what you're going through to help you. Because if you can't get to a meeting, I mean, how many times do, you know, there's a lot of places where meetings will come to you, you know. Right. If you're home sick for two weeks or something. Um, a group will get together and they'll bring the meeting to your house, mm-hmm. you know, so it works that way. And you can ask for that kind of help and support, and people will, they'll come to the hospital. They mm-hmm. will come to your home. They will pick you up and drive you if you can't drive. So paying attention to that, planning ahead, having a relapse prevention plan, having an agreement with your recovery team about what is going to happen if things get out of control because even with the best intentions and the best plan, sometimes the disease gets lit up and Mm -hmm. then having a plan about what am I going to do if I'm getting into trouble? How am I going to re-engage maybe with more formal treatment? And sometimes we have to do that. So I think that's a, a really important thing to think about and to plan ahead for is how am I going to manage pain in my life. I think um, another thing that, that we will do is um, do, the, do the medication in a shorter term um, dosage. A lot of doctors will write scripts for a month and say, come, come back in a month and we'll check things out. And <laughs> addicts tend to need to be seen quicker than that. Um, so, so we'll probably do a 10-day or two-week. Um, and when they come back, they know they will be doing a drug screen. Right. Um, checking not only are they taking the medication that's being prescribed, but are they not taking anything else. Right. And um, um, so that they know there's accountability out there. Because part of what the addict brain knows is they're not alone and that there is um, there is somebody who's, who's looking over my shoulder that cares and is also going to be disappointed if I'm not following the instructions as as prescribed and that's very 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 important that that is also added into the aftercare and the relapse prevention plan so medication assisted recovery and medication assisted treatment those are two terms that you often see in in at least the literature of recovery, but also in the lay press. Mm-hmm. Medication-assisted treatment, that's when you're in active treatment. They mm-hmm. will often give you medications to help you detox off any of the meds that you're on. Sometimes there is medication that is added that may help you with cravings, cravings for alcohol, cravings for pot, cravings for benzodiazepines, medications to help 
as a tool, not as a substitute for doing recovery work, but as a tool. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we will use an opiate agonist antagonist like buprenorphine or methadone as a way to help the person who is needing more support for a longer period of time and not just for detox. And that's what I think of when I think of medication-assisted recovery, that this may be a longer term than just in acute treatment. Again, having a relationship and continued work on your recovery plan, but maybe not as intensively as in an initial phase of treatment, really important. And I think this it is that breakdown in medication-assisted treatment versus recovery that has created such angst for the recovery community. When we come back, we're going to talk about that angst. So please stay tuned. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine understand Obamacare, and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's web radio. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. This is Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. I have with me David Donaldson and Michael Daly from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about medication-assisted recovery and integration with 12-step recovery. 
So with all due respect to the 12-step community, because I think that they have some cause for concern around people taking medication, and they are cautious as new medications come out. Um, with the antidepressants, it took a while before people were okay with the idea that people coming to 12-step meetings were going to be taking antidepressants or mood stabilizers. I think as we've moved into the area of medication-assisted recovery, there is some skepticism and there is some reason for concern. And I think that some of this has evolved out of the most commonly thought of medication-assisted treatment, which is methadone. Mm And uh, I think that methadone treatment centers have been separate from mainstream recovery and from other addiction treatment centers. They're specially licensed by the federal government, and not everybody can provide that kind and type of treatment. They have been, to some degree, although there are some folks who take methadone who are involved in 12-step, but I would say as a rule, that's not the case, that people who are using methadone have this feeling that that's all they need. Well, and there are some. Well, that's the end. That is the end of, I get on methadone and, and I'm fine. Right. And and there are some people on methadone who get to whatever dose they need and they develop a sense of trust and they get their regular dose and they go on and they live a pretty functional life. Right. They're they're, you know, confined to their city because methadone is, is they're still trapped in that sense, but they're living a life that people don't necessarily know about. But there's a vast majority of methadone addicts or, or a big number of methadone addicts that that escalate up the number and they, they get incredibly dependent upon just their methadone center um, and and they really are kind of hopeless with the idea that they're ever going to be able to get off of it or get free so from the from the 12-step recovering community there's a sense of these people are becoming ghosts you know they're just kind of becoming methadone people and and drifting away And it is a very difficult medication to come off of. It is a full opiate agonist, which means you can still take more and you can take other drugs on top of it, other opiates on top of it, and you can still get high. And this creates a potential lethality inherent in methadone that I'm not sure people are aware of. And I really, after having many people calling our office on 80, 120 milligrams of methadone and being told we can't get you off of that as an outpatient. You're going to have to taper down to 30 milligrams so that we can begin your taper and your transition off of that medication, which can take them up to a year. They have no idea. Right, and and trying to explain to them that it's not going to be just an easy little taper that it, it could take up to a year, and in that year, they're probably going to have some misery. Right. But and the clinicians that I've spoken with that are in more reputable uh, methadone clinics will talk about when somebody comes to them and says, I'm ready to taper off of this, they'll sign a two-year contract with this person mm-hmm. where they're doing a very slow taper, and they're coming in and they're having checkup sessions with the therapist and talking about that progress because it's it's 
stored in their bones. It takes a long time right. for the body to, to cleanse this out of there. It's a very difficult taper. So that um, the fact that they have been more isolated from recovery community, I think, uh, creates some level of separation with 12-step. Mm-hmm. Um, I think back about my early training in addiction, and I was certainly trained in an abstinence-only um, training program and treatment center. When heroin came along in the way it's available today and that it can be a first-line drug for many people. It's not an end-of-the-line drug. Absolutely. And every time someone uses their, it's Russian roulette because they really don't know how much they're taking. They don't know if fentanyl is on board or what else might be in there. And the risk of overdose is so high. I've had to rethink, and I know our philosophy at the Atlanta Healing Center has moved much more to a medication-assisted recovery model with our desire that people are also integrated if they are comfortable and willing with a 12-step or some type of support network so that they have people who will help them. The risks of overdose, the risks of death, and the powerful cravings created by this particular drug that is different than any other opiate has really changed my mind in terms of people needing to be on this medication. Um, The buprenorphine, which is a mixed agonist antagonist, there is a sealing effect. There is a blockage of the opiate receptors, making it very difficult, if not impossible, for the person to get high if they use other drugs. Mm -hmm other opiates on top of it. Um, Lots of safety benefits in there without the mood and mind-altering effects that you see with them taking other medications. This has really changed my approach, and certainly you're welcome to call us at the Atlanta Healing Center and speak to Michael if you're interested in learning more about medication-assisted recovery. But the struggle still remains with the 12-step community being in many areas, not everywhere, but very reluctant and suspicious and non-supportive of people taking a buprenorphine, naltrexone, naloxone product um, that helps them with their recovery for an extended period of time. Right. I think that um, I try to help people understand that it is a medicated assisted recovery and recovery is the key word there because I help them understand that not only is this a tool but doing groups seeing a therapist uh, seeing Dr. Blank seeing um, doing neurofeedback that's all part of that same recovery and and it's all part of their their little toolbox of of things that they get to to use and to help them along the path and just like everything um there's a start and a finish to it so it's not something that's going to go on forever um generally we like to set a date and then and then from that starting point do a taper down to that date and and help them understand that this is just to get them through this rough periods of time that could possibly come up while they're learning while they're learning 
mm-hmm. and and actively involved in a recovery program. So our philosophy is not you come, you get your prescription, and you go and away you for go. a month. Um, you have to be actively involved in a recovery program. This is one of the ways that we can help you. Some patients choose to come and just have a detox, a quick detox, and they want to be abstinence only. Some people want to try a long-acting um, and complete opiate blocker. Some people want to be on the buprenorphine product for some period of time, several months perhaps. And some folks, we really um, encourage them if they have been using heroin to consider a 13-month where they get through every holiday, birthday, anniversary, their first year of recovery. They've made the recovery network. They have their friends and their support. They've been able to accomplish accomplish things, get their life back on track, get back in school, get back to work, get back with their family. And as these things happen, and they are much more comfortable with their life, their ability to resist the cravings and to avoid the people, places, and things that will get them into trouble is so greatly enhanced if they can stick with a recovery program. It, right. it's, it's a huge difference. And, and what we have to help them understand is that certainly we can set up a, a six-month plan or a three-month plan, but whatever the plan is, they they're told and they're helped to understand that any time we can we can readjust that plan you know mm-hmm. because sometimes people in recovery especially early recovery get it in their head that you know well i set this date and i have to make it by this date and and what we try to help them understand is that sometimes sure that date would be would be great except for this came along mm-hmm. in the middle of this and maybe this added this stress or this instance. And so you have to be willing to kind of bend and and um, maneuver as best possible. Right. It's individualized treatment. Exactly. Sometimes it's sooner. Sometimes it takes a bit longer. But on average, we, we know these are the things that help people have the best success. And being involved in a 12-step program is part of that for many people. Absolutely. But and that decision's not being being made just in their by themselves, but by coming in and being really open with with the doctor and being open with the therapist and and coming to the decision, mm-hmm. am I at a point in my life where it's good to start this taper? Um um, I, I think it's important to, to recognize that for a long time, methadone was the only option and people were at methadone clinics. And now um, with buprenorphine and with these medications, people are having the opportunity to come back into the recovery world because treatment centers didn't even accept them for the longest time. They right. just right. sent them to a methadone clinic. But now people are getting help in living lives that they used to not have the option for. Thank you so much for helping today with this discussion, and thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week on Detailing Addiction. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.